G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. You ever think to yourself, what good is God really? What about when somebody you love is dying and you're praying? The early Christians, it was illegal to be a Christian. They were dying every day. And they were people who believed it. Remember, they became Christ followers because of one primary issue, the resurrection. Do you think at any point they said, what's going on here? If you rose from the dead, how hard is it to protect us? Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill, and you're with me on Today with Jeff Vines. I'm glad you've joined me for this message about checking the state of our hearts, a spiritual heart check. Pastor Jeff talks about when doors open or doors close in our lives. He's reading from Revelation chapter 3, and Pastor Jeff helps us see how the first Christians approached these situations. Let's get into it, and Pastor Jeff can explain more. I want to read to you. We're in our series, Heart Check, but I want to read to you. Anytime we read from the Bible, it is a good thing. Let me read the Bible to you. I'm in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. This is the letter to the church at Philadelphia. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who knows or who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars... I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my commandment to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, guess what happened to me last week? I got robbed. Oh, yeah. Welcome to LA. Okay, to be fair, I was in San Bernardino County. So I'm out there, it was a Tuesday, and I'm supposed to be writing my sermon, but things aren't clicking. And I've been hiding in the office for far too many hours, so sometimes if I just get out and do something and take my mind off of it, then I'll come back in and things will just flow. So I'm going out to my favorite coffee clutch in Fontana to work on my sermon. My buddy Rick Reed calls me and says, hey, let's play nine holes of golf. That's all I need. <laughs> we met at San Bernardino Golf Club. We're on hole number five. 
Hole number five is adjacent to the road, okay? So it, it borders the road. We go over and we're putting. I had an eagle putt, by the way, just saying. On, on a par five, we park the golf court, cart by the next tee, which you often do. So as we're putting, out of the corner of my eye, I see the golf cart is moving. And Rick nor I are in it. Some dude just hopped right off the street. Got in the golf cart. Now he's driving. It happened so fast, I thought it was a worker or a friend of Rick's just playing a joke. Until I realized as he went by me, Rick said, he's still in our golf clubs. Now, for me, you know, it's just, it's just stuff. You know, what's he going to get really? My phone is there. Okay, my keys are there. And then I thought, wait a minute. I just bought new golf irons last week, so I took off running. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, Rick said, I can't run. You'll have, so I'm running, man. I got to catch this guy. But the golf cart's faster than I am, of course, which wouldn't be difficult, but I refuse to give up. I, I am so sore. I have done that in a long time. <laughs> he got to the edge of the golf course. There's an iron wire around the course, I guess, out there because evidently people have stolen golf carts before. So he comes to the end of it. He sees me, panics, so he doesn't have time to go through all of our stuff, but he does grab my cell phone, Rick's phone, and Rick's car keys and wallet and credit cards and everything else. I always keep mine in a little packet in the bag for this very reason. So I only lost my phone. Now I realize I have my iPad with me. My iPad has a little finder of where your phone is. The iPad told me that my phone is two houses down. So I called the police. And I said, I've got, I know where my stuff is. So they raided the house. I mean, it was an hour and a half later, but they raided the house. And what it was, the original thief actually knew he couldn't get into my phone. So he just smashed it on the ground. A little boy coming home from school picked it up and took it home. So they crashed the wrong house. I didn't get my phone back in a gazillion pieces. Now, on the way home, because I have to take Rick to Claremont because he's got to go get his other set of keys. He's afraid they're going to come back and steal his car. They didn't get my keys or my wallet. They got everything. So he has the golf club part, two golf carts, one in the front and one in the back to just keep it in. And they're guarding it until I can take him there. He's a wreck. Of course, I'm not a wreck, but would I have been if my credit cards and keys would have been stolen? I don't know. But I saw Rick... He was just so despondent. I said, man, don't worry. It's only stuff. I mean, come on. Our family's good. We got our health and all. It didn't seem to help much. <laughs> now, I started thinking. I started thinking. I mean, come on. I'm a pastor. You shouldn't steal from a pastor. <laughs> and then your mind goes, God, you know, you could have you stopped that. I mean, you know, come on. Don't, how about a little something for Help me here. And Rick, of course, he's that on steroids, right? God, I mean, I'm supposed to leave tomorrow to go see my kids, and now I got to go home and do all this credit card calling. I got to call the bank. I got to go get, oh, God, you know, we're yours. We're yours. Okay, that's just that. What about when a child of yours is sick? What about when somebody you love is dying and you're praying? You ever think to yourself, what good is God really? The early Christians, it was illegal to be a Christian. They were dying every day. And they were people who believed it. Remember, they became Christ followers because of one primary issue, the resurrection. 
They had other messiahs claim to be messiah. But they truly believed because of the, the evidence that they had found that Jesus rose from the dead. So he's got power. Now you think about it. Every day you're losing people that you love in your family. Your son, your daughter, your cousin. People who live with you are dying. Because of the emperor, he has made a decree. He has said that if you're a Christian, the emperor Trajan from 98 AD, 117, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, you're going to die. You can either fall down and worship the emperor or, and if you do that, you'll be spared or otherwise we're going to torture you and execute you. Do you think at any point they said, what's going on here? If you rose from the dead, how hard is it to protect us? Have you ever thought that? Hey, if you rose from the dead, you got that kind of power. I mean, when I pray, can't you help me out a little bit here? I mean, if you raise from the dead, I mean, there's no greater power than that. I mean, if you can overcome death, can't you do this? The reason the letters are written, and this is what's amazing in the book of Revelation, is so that the Christians would be prepared for what's coming. And they were. And they did overcome, even though there was so much loss of life, even though it meant their lives. As a whole, the church stayed so strong through this that they changed the entire Greco-Roman world. We have letters in antiquity. There were six men from Carthage. They were brought up on charges before the proconsul. His name was Saturnius. Remember I told you Christianity doesn't happen in a vacuum. We've got all kinds of historical references, letters, things we can read. Saturnius says to the six Christ followers, swear now before the Lord our emperor. And here's their response. And I quote, we have committed no wrong. We've committed no theft. When we buy something, we pay the tax on it. We do this because we know our Lord who no one sees with these eyes. He's the king of kings and Lord of lords and emperor of all nations. Saturnius says, have a delay of 30 days and rethink this. And they said, don't need to. If we go away for 30 days, we're going to come back and say the same thing. He goes, okay, because of your... Because you obstinately persist, it has been determined that you will be put to death by the sword. And they were. Do you know what they said when he announced the sentence? They said this, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. They knew what they were about to say meant that they were going to be tortured and killed. And what did they do? They quoted Revelation. We know our Lord who no one sees with these eyes. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. I look at this and I have to wonder, when I read what he wrote to Ephesus, he says, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. My mind goes like this. Does that mean there are going to be some who will not be victorious? To the letter at Smyrna, be faithful even to the point of death, I'll give you the victor's crown. Does that mean some people are not going to be faithful to the point of death and will not receive the victor's crown? Sardis, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. Does that mean that some people will not be victorious and will apostatize, deny Christ? And will their name be blotted out of the book of life? Philadelphia, he says, the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Are there ones who will not be victorious? You want to know if your heart is right? You want a heart check? Here you go. Here's your heart check. 
This word right here, hupomone, govern the first church. It's from two words, mone, which is uh, patience, and hupa, hyper. They had hyper endurance. They were able to endure no matter what they faced. Now, how is that possible? I want to tell you how. There were three symbols in this letter to Philadelphia that shows us how we can too. And the first one is door. 28 miles from Sardis. 28 miles from Sardis is Philadelphia. These two churches are closely related. Philadelphia was founded by Attalus II in 150 BC. And the love between Attalus and his brother, uh, Uminus, won them the, the identity of Philadelphia, which means what? Brotherly love. But the thing about the city is that it guarded a pass into the Eastern Highlands. So you had to go through Philadelphia to get on a major trade route. And so it was said that they held the key to the door, to the pass, to the Eastern Highlands. When Jesus writes the letter to Philadelphia, he says, I am the one who holds the key and is able to open and close the door. And when I see that, it jumps out to me because he says, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut since you've kept my command to endure patiently. Open door always means an opportunity for the success of the progression of the gospel. So in verse nine, he says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I've loved you. You put those verses together and here's what Jesus is saying. The synagogue in Philadelphia, we know historically speaking, and I had all this stuff to go, and I know you guys who love history are gonna miss that this weekend, sorry. Not enough time. But the, the Jews in the synagogue in Philadelphia actually partnered with the Romans to put the Christians to death. Jesus tells them, if you will endure. Now, does the question ever come to your mind? Okay, Jesus, why don't you protect the Christ followers from the Jews? I mean, you rose from the dead. Are you with me? You ever ask, if, if you, if you're, are you willing to admit that that goes through your mind? If you rose from the dead, why, why does my life stink? What did Jim Carrey say and Bruce Almighty? You could fix my life in five minutes if you wanted to. But he says to them, if you endure, not that I'm going to take it away, but if you endure what they're going to do to you, it's going to open a door for you and for the progression of the gospel that otherwise could have never opened up. And they will come to know that I do love you and I've made a covenant with you as well. He says in verse 9, Look at the Bible now. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Jesus says these hard, obstinate people are about to become your friends. Your response, your endurance will open their eyes and it did. Because you have been so patient, because you've endured this suffering in response to closed doors, I'm gonna open doors for you you never thought possible. Now, I don't know what you're facing this week or what you came this weekend holding. But I can tell you this, most of you aren't going to be covered in pitch and burned. You're not going to be crucified upside down. You're not going to be tied to a pole and devoured by lions. You're not going to have your head chopped off. So if they hyperstood when that's what they faced, can we not do the same? Verse eight, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. He's saying, wow, 
You're weak. You're small in number. You're not overly talented. However, people you never thought you could win over, you're going to win over if you endure. Do you see the two options? Jesus could say, I'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. I'll handle it. But he doesn't. He says, I'm going to open that door to your suffering. And if you respond well to it, people who are far from God are going to come in that otherwise would have never come in. Can I ask you a question? Everybody in the room, because I've had to ask myself, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that everything that goes on in your life is a door that Christ opens or closes? Do you look back over your life and you look at all the great things which you have no trouble believing that God brought into your life? Now look at all the horrible things. Do you really believe that that God could have stood at the door and said, nope, not coming in. And yet he opened it. Not that he caused it, but if God is truly sovereign, if there's no other option, folks, if he's omnipotent, he's all powerful and he's omniscient, that means nothing catches him by surprise. If he's both, if he's one or the other, he's not God. He then would be subject to something he himself has created. If he's God, he's got to be both which means nothing comes into your life that he doesn't know beforehand too, and he has the power to shut the door, and he didn't. There's a Greek proverb that says, pathama mathama, it means suffering is education. I used to hear that when I was younger, think what a load of rubbish. What a cop out. And I, for a while I thought, you know, this is a fallen world. You know, think bad things happen in a fallen world and just go on. That is true. However, if God is truly omnipotent and omniscient, no matter what you face in a fallen world, if he wanted to stop it, he could. There's no other option. The next thing you know, you're going to say to me, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. I hate that. Or at least I did until I realized who said it. And in what context it was spoken. Now hear me on this so you don't misquote this again. Martin Luther King. Did you know that? He used to deliberately seek out the meanest southern sheriffs for a series of peaceful confrontations because he knew that the beatings and the jailings and the brutalities would spark a complacent nation to rally around his cause, which he believed they would do only when they witnessed the evil of racism, and they did. So in that context, he said, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. But what did he mean? The sufferings of my life will open the door to the greatest victories of my life. But he's not speaking of his own strength, although you could probably apply that as well. He's speaking of his cause. He's saying, my cause will become stronger when I'm willing to endure brutality, torture, and imprisonment. I am willing to suffer if it progresses my cause because it will show my resolve for a bigger purpose than myself. So he's willing to endure whatever he has to endure for something bigger and beyond him to go forward. If you go to the great art galleries in the world or listen to some of the great music you soon realize that closed doors have enriched their lives and given them much more wisdom and compassion 
empathy and made them much more humane. Paul Turnier, the famous Swiss physician and counselor, he recalls his surprise when reading an article that was entitled this, Orphans Lead the World. Actually, there's an entire book written about this topic now. But in the book, or in the article, a popular medical journal, respected medical journal, it surveys the lives of 300 leaders who had the greatest impact on world history, and he looks for a common thread. Hours and hours and months and months and years of research. What is the common thread of all these great leaders? And he found that they were all orphans. Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, George Washington, Napoleon, Queen Victoria, Golda Meir, Steve Jobs, Babe Ruth, Edgar Allan Poe, the list goes on. And he draws the conclusion that closed doors can make you better or bitter, soft or hard, break you or mend you, but you will never stay the same. And that your response will be determined by your view of God. If you truly believe God is all powerful and omniscient, he knows everything and is powerful to overcome everything, you then will respond by saying, God, what door you open, I'll go through. What door you close, I will not force open. It sounds so good in theory until you're suffering. Come on, let's be honest. I wrote the sermon, do you think I want suffering? Don't you want the kingdom of God to expand? Well, sure I do, but can you do it another way? I think I would be in good company. Somebody else said that. His name was Jesus. Is there another way? Is there another way? You say, Jeff, I wish I could be that person, but I can't. How can I? Second theme. The second symbol, a key. Look at what he says. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. The key of David is uh, just a symbol out of both Isaiah uh, and Zechariah to explain the authority that King David had when he was at the very top of his uh, leadership, when he was king. And so Jesus says, I'm the one who holds the ultimate keys of David. Here's what he's saying. What I open, you can't shut. And what I shut, you can't open. Now, there's another play on words here because in Jesus' day, people lived in insulas. Insulas were huge compounds. So remember what I told you? You lived with everybody, aunts, uncles, grandpa, grandma, mother-in-law, everybody on the same compound. And they actually, the Romans actually built roads through the middle of insulas. So it was nothing for somebody, a stranger would be walking right through your house which meant you had to lock everything up. The kitchen, the pantry, the bedroom, the linens, the towels, and whoever had the keys had access to everything. Jesus is saying, I have the keys to every room in the house. I have absolute power and access to every area of your life. What does that mean? You're not in charge, and you never have been. You can't control it. Did you choose the economic climate into which you were born? No. Did you choose the talents you have? No. The temperament? No. Family life? No. Whether it's nature or nurture, we can talk all about that from a philosophical point of view, but the main point is it all comes from the outside. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. How many of you parents would be willing to say this? How many of you parents would pray, God... Do whatever you have to do in me to bring my children back to you. Because historically speaking, that would mean you have to suffer. And you have to suffer greatly. 
because when your children see your faith and trust in Jesus, when your life is falling apart, that's when your gospel is most compelling. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What he shuts, no one can open. What he opens, no one can shut. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.